Lord, protect me today. Let me be an example. Let me be a leader. Bless me with your righteousness. Let them see you in me. God, I need you right now. Help me out of this mess. Help me take a stand against the devil. Help me stand my ground. Please lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from this evil. I could have died. Thank you for watching out for me. My life is in your hands. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, your word says, I can have whatever I pray in your name. Your word says, the power that raised you from the dead lives in me. Heal me, God. Save me from the grip of death. I have faith that your mighty hand can move this mountain. Your servant is ready for battle. With Christ, we have the victory. All right, well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome to week two of our special fall series, SWAT, or Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. Uh, if you're new to Liquid Church, you know we are a uh, Bible-based Christ-centered church with multiple locations all across New Jersey. And today we got special guests who are joining us via video broadcast. Today we have our family and friends at Gloucester County Community Church on the big screen. Can we hear it for them, all our friends in South Jersey? <laughs> Pastor Bruce, what's up, brother? Great to see you guys. We love having you guys join us. Uh, Gloucester County Community Church, a wonderful church, about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. And uh, this fall, our two churches, Liquid and Gloucester County, were kind of partnering together for six weeks to go through this spiritual warfare series. And today, I got to begin uh, by, by just coming clean with you guys. Uh, I, I have to confess a sin. It is a serious sin, okay? I don't know how to tell you this, but last weekend when I was visiting with Gloucester County down in South Jersey, I preached in an Eagles jersey. Okay, I just, I know, don't, don't crucify me yet, okay? I just, I just, oh, I know, oh man, the Giants fans, guys, all right, they crushed us, man. What are you going to do, right? I, you know, I've got my number 11 Manning jersey, but I was like, I'll keep the number, I'll just change it to Wentz, you know, on the back. I'm like, hey, anything for Jesus. In fact, this is just kind of a funny story. So I'm getting in my car last Saturday to drive down to Gloucester County. And uh, my wife, Colleen, says to me, she sees me in the jersey. She's like, are you sure you should wear that in public, you know? And, uh, and I said, well, I'm not going to see anybody, you know? So I drive down the turnpike. And about halfway down, I stop at the Walt Whitman rest area, okay? And I just like go in to use the bathroom. And, you know, I'm kind of standing there. And guys, you know, I'm talking about like, you stand there, you don't look at the guy next to you, right? You know, like there's rules, right? But I'm standing there and I feel like this guy next to me just keeps looking, looking, looking me up and down, looking me up and down. And so I finally look over at him and his eyes go white. He just goes, Pastor Tim? It's Lou Samara from our parking team. And it was, I was just like, look, it's like I got caught shoplifting, you know, in Victoria's Secret or something. Like, Lou and his wife, Leslie, were driving south for a funeral, and they're like exposed, you know? They're like, do you lead a double life? Uh, is there, do you have a secret family down south? And I, you know, it's funny, but I, I knew my secret would get out at some point, so 
I actually texted a photo to one of my buddies who's a huge Giants fan just to show him my Eagles jersey. And I said, hey, go and visit our new friends in South Jersey, 1 Corinthians 9.22. Do you guys know what that verse says? It says, to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Okay, I was just like, anything for Jesus, right? Now, <laughs> what's really funny is what he texted back. He texted back John 11.35. I look it up and it's a short verse. Jesus wept. <laughs> that's hilarious. I was like, that's great. Anyway, we're just having some fun. We are so happy to have Gloucester County joining us on the big screen as we learn about the armor of God together. Uh, Colleen and the kids actually uh, came down to join me last weekend, and so we were gone for most of the weekend. Uh, but it was funny, when we returned on Sunday night, we walked into our house and we had, shall we say, some unexpected guests. Uh, we walked into our home and instantly realized that while we were away, our home had been invaded not by burglars, but fruit flies. Anybody else have a fruit fry problem, okay? These are pesky little buggers. Apparently, uh, last week it was just like the time of season and it was like mild temperatures. Um, let this um, unprecedented invasion of fruit flies all over our neighborhood. And so what's worse is before we left the house, we left a bowl of overripe bananas on the kitchen counter, right? So they had, you know, brown spots past their due date. So the fruit flies, they just like partied while we were away. And we walk in the front door and there's a black cloud. They're like in the living room. They're buzzing around the kitchen. We swatted, we shooed, we're slapping at them. It's, it's, it's an awful thing. Because although they're small, they are nasty little buggers. In fact, take a look at one close up, okay? It's like demonic, you know, like it's like, so I swatted about three dozen of them, but then more appeared in the bathroom. Apparently they multiplied and they, you know, they made baby flies and hatched over the weekend while we're away. Anyway, here's my point. And I do have one, by the way, uh, related to spiritual warfare. At no point did we ever invite these critters to invade our home. We didn't send them a text and say, hey, ripe bananas, come here, you know. The only thing necessary for them to invade was to create the rotten conditions that would attract the enemy, invite them to invade, hatch, and multiply. The same principle holds true in the spiritual world. When it comes to invasion by the enemy of your soul, as a born-again believer, that means you're saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul has been teaching us that you are in the crosshairs of an enemy who is constantly seeking to invade and infest your life. It is Satan, it is the devil, and he's more sinister than any fruit fly. He actually probes, he studies you for any opening, any weakness, so he can invade your home, your family, he can attack your marriage, he can infest your relationships and your faith. And what we found out is that the enemy attacks in one of two ways, if you're taking notes. Your spiritual enemy always comes through either invitation or invasion. We either create an opening in our life and say, come on in, or he invades. And the way we invite him in, primarily, is through the presence of sin in our lives. Think of it this way. It, it, sin is like a setting out a bowl of rotten fruit in your life. And it's all the invitation that Satan needs to send his demons to your doorstep. 
Uh, hidden sin in your life, it's like kind of like rolling out a welcome mat <laughs> at the front door of your soul. Because it invites your enemy to come on in and make himself at home. By the way, side note, you should know, there actually is an easy remedy for fruit flies. <laughs> uh, we found it online. You can find anything online. Uh, all you have to do is fill a jar with apple cider vinegar, and they, they get drunk and drown. <laughs> uh, it's very similar to Eagles fans, actually. And uh, <laughs> that's just for Gloucester County. Uh, <laughs> listen, Paul says the devil, the enemy of your soul comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That means he is there to invade and infest and wreak havoc in your life. But in Ephesians 6, Paul says, don't freak out. God has given you some weapons of his own to repel the enemy's attack. It's called the armor of God. Can we say that, church? The armor of all our campuses. Let's read Ephesians 6 out loud together. We like to read the Lord's word in the Lord's house. So let's say big, loud voice. Here we go, church. Ready? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We'll pause there. Uh, last week we learned that the first step is to gird ourselves with the belt of truth. And we said, you know what? The belt of truth was actually this belt, this kind of belt that was a very thick leather strap that Roman soldiers used to gird themselves every morning. It wasn't a designer belt, it wasn't an accessory, it was a combat harness. And this belt represents truth. In other words, Paul says it's like the Word of God. It is the core support in every Christian's life. Uh, the Bible undergirds everything. It's why we preach from it. It's the plumb line of your life by which you make your choices and values and decisions. And that's not uh, popular in our culture, right? The, our culture says truth is relative, but we declare that God's truth is unchanging, amen? As believers, we actually submit our opinion to the opinion of God on every matter. That's what it means to gird your loins with truth. That's the first step in putting on the armor of God. But the second step, Paul says, after you buckle that belt, he says, I want you to put on the what? The breastplate of righteousness. Now you can see this breastplate, this is actually, it's like a metal shield. It was typically in the first century forged out of nickel or bronze, and it was the heaviest piece of armor in the soldier's uh, weaponry. By the way, uh, the abs here, right? Pastor Bruce, uh, I learned he does 100 crunches every night before bed. You can thank him for modeling for us, all right? Uh, his abs there. But during the first century, the Roman soldier wore that breastplate, it was called a thoraca, and it covered his neck all the way down to his waist so that it would protect all his vital organs, specifically his heart. Because you guys understand this, in a battle, the heart, that's the kill shot. A soldier could get sliced on the leg and still survive, but if he took a direct hit to the heart, he was a goner. So after the belt, he put on the breastplate, and Paul says, this is the second piece of spiritual armor in every Christian's arsenal. Now, what does this mean when it says breastplate of righteousness? What is righteousness? Fancy churchy word, right? You can actually see what it means by seeing that word right in there. That gives us a clue. I want to give you a definition of righteousness by Priscilla Shire. She's a fantastic Bible teacher. I love to give her credit just for an amazing study she did on the armor of God. And she says, righteousness 
is upright living that aligns with God's expectations. In other words, it's intentionally choosing a lifestyle by which your, your choices and your decisions and the way you live every day is aligned, it's even with God's, God's standards. It's obedience. It's fulfilling the expectations to safeguard a relationship. For instance, if you have a righteous marriage, it doesn't mean it's a perfect marriage, but what it means is I'm 100% faithful to my wife in my body, but also in my mind. If you're a righteous student, doesn't mean you're a perfect student, but it means you are 100% honest in every way. You don't cheat on tests, you don't copy homework, you don't plagiarize reports. If you're a righteous employee, it means you do your work every day, even when you don't feel like it, with 100% effort. You don't cheat the company, you honor your boss, whether or not he or she deserves it, you know. You always do right for the company. So righteousness is this kind of upright living that aligns with God's expectations. And why is it so important? Why is it like a bulletproof vest for Christians? And the answer is this. Because unrighteousness, the presence of sin in your life is like a bowl of rotten fruit that invites the flies to invade. It's the hidden sin. It's the, 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 the sexual sin, the lustful thoughts that we entertain. It's cheating at your work or fudging the numbers. It's the little white lies we tell each other, the gossip about our coworkers. The Bible says that is unrighteous living, and it opens the door, puts out the welcome mat to enemy invasion. See, so guys, here's a secret about spiritual warfare. If you want the devil to mess with your life, you don't have to text him. <laughs> you don't have to instant message him. You don't have to send him an email. You just let a little bit of sin fester and rot in the dark, and you have created the ideal environment to attract the enemy invasion in your life. He will come in and mess with your mind. He will tinker with your thoughts and emotions, and he will buzz around even your feelings and lay eggs of anger and jealousy. And let me tell you, when they hatch, create all sorts of chaos and division in your relationships. So you and I have a choice, Paul says. Will you put on the breastplate of righteousness that repels the enemy? Because holiness is like a flak jacket. Holiness means that your actions are aligned with God's character. He's holy, so I want to be holy. Now, I understand like holiness, like in today's culture, nobody honors that. They use it like derogatory, like, oh, she's such a holy roller. But holiness is beautiful. You know what holiness actually means? It means to be set apart and different than the rest of the world. <laughs> In fact, Scripture says Christians are supposed to be weird. <laughs> scripture calls us aliens <laughs> and strangers in this world. You know what that means? It means when people see you on your job or at school or the mall or the gym, they should wonder, what planet did she come from? <laughs> She's an alien. She's so different in the way that she thinks, in the way that she talks. Everyone else is gossiping, but she's building people up. He's so different in his morals. Everyone goes out and drinks at the strip club, and he just doesn't do that stuff. He's not a holy roller, but he's committed to something much deeper. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Now notice something here. Paul says the belt of truth comes before the breastplate. Why? Because they were connected. The soldier put the belt on first because it would attach, actually, to the breastplate and help hold it up. This whole thing weighed over 70 pounds. And Paul's making a point. You can't have one without the other. You can't live a righteous life without the truth of God. Think of it this way. 
It's like a pair of railroad tracks. Imagine railroad tracks in your mind. There's you, there's your life. God's truth provides the tracks for your righteousness to run on. The, the railroad tracks in your life, that's God's truth. He's like, I want to steer your life in my direction. I want you going my way. This is your plumb line. This is where I'm taking you. But righteousness is actually the train of your obedience. You know what the enemy's goal is? It's to derail your train. To get you to deviate from the truth of God, come off the tracks and have a train wreck in your life. He wants your behavior to actually veer a little bit and be out of line with the truth that you claim to believe. Why? Because then the rest of the world can, confirms what they think. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They, they talk a lot about truth, but their lives are totally out of whack. And that's why the enemy tempts us every single day, every moment with unrighteous living. I mean, let me, let me just ask you, do you think it's coincidence? Like think about your life this week. Do you think it's coincidence that that exact temptation hit you at that exact moment when you were tired or exhausted <laughs> or, or you, were, you, you were vulnerable and weak or lonely and then boom, that particular temptation comes in. You think it's just coincidence? Or like there's this like exact piece of conflict buzzing into your marriage at that exact moment, <laughs> you know, when things are amping up with your your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse or fiance or your roommate, and that it, all of a sudden this white hot cord of conflict jumps in. Do you think any of that stuff is random? No. Guys, that is by design. It is the enemy trying his best to derail your train off the tracks of God's truth. See, the enemy will spiritually assault you at your weakest moment. I know this is unsettling to think about, but he actually studies you. He is very personal, he probes for weaknesses. Openings in your armor. He sees proclivities. Well, James tends to do this. Oh, she's got a hole over here. She has given into that temptation in the past. I'm going to hit her with it now. And he does that so he can gain access. And it allows him to gain a foothold. You know what that means? It means you can pray. You can pray against the enemy till you're blue in the face. But if you are praying against the enemy and living unrighteous, your prayers ain't going to be effective. You have to put on the breastplate of righteousness like a bulletproof vest to fend off the enemy's assault. If you want that protection that God provides, you got to put on the righteousness of Christ every single morning of every single day of the rest of your life, embracing the expectations of God. Guys, that's what will protect you against the heart attack. Can I put it that way? Can we talk about heart attacks? Can I, can I ask this question? Are some of you actually in danger of a heart attack? I don't mean physically. I mean, although that's a good illustration. This past summer, in fact, a friend of our family who's in his 50s suffered a heart attack uh, while he was out jogging. And uh, by the way, that's why I avoid exercise. Too dangerous, you know, just like, just... <laughs> he made a full recovery. Uh, but it was surprising to me because my friend, he was in his 50s, you know, and he's like in pretty decent shape. He's like a runner. And uh, I said, you know, he said to me, well, Tim, you know, I travel for work. <laughs> he said, honestly, too many business lunches with too much red, wheat, uh, red meat <laughs> and too much red wine. He said, actually really caught up to me over the last 15 years. Uh, he said, I got to make some changes. And so they put a little stent in his heart and he should be fine, he said, if I change my lifestyle, if I align my diet and exercise so that I don't have a second heart attack. Guys, listen. When Satan wants to take out a Christian, he goes straight for your heart. Why? 
because it is the kill shot. Even Roman soldiers knew one arrow to the heart. It didn't matter how good shape, it didn't matter how well trained, they were gone in a moment. Why is the heart so central? Because it's the source of your entire life. Do you know Proverbs 4.23 actually says this. I want to read this out loud. Powerful verse. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. In other words, the breastplate of righteousness is what guards your heart against the schemes of the enemy. Because the enemy knows, man, if I can hit her in her heart, I can take her out for good. In fact, this is very interesting in my um, research, because I geek out about this kind of stuff. But in my research, I found out that every Roman soldier was issued a breastplate uh, from Caesar. That's what everybody got standard issue. But some of the Roman soldiers who came from wealthy families, meaning they were rich enough or affluent to afford it, they could purchase on their own an additional layer of chain mail. This is actually legit chain mail. And what would they do? They would actually put that chain mail, they'd wear it, over their breastplate. Why? They didn't put it in the back. They put it in the front because that chain mail covered the heart. It was an extra layer of protection and it kept all the other organs functioning. So what does the Bible mean by guard your heart practically? Let me tell you what the Bible means by heart. Your heart is made up of four distinct parts. It's what makes you you. It starts with your mind. That's part of your heart. It's your thoughts, it's your ideas that you have. But it's also your will, it is your ambition, it's the desires that you have, what you want to pursue in life, the actions you take. Your heart is your mind, your will, but it's also your emotions, it's your, your feelings, right? You don't say to your wife, I love you with all my head. <laughs> you say, I love you with all my, my heart, right? It's also your conscience, this is important. It's the moral compass that guides you. So when this... Scripture speaks of your heart, it's talking about the intersection of these four ingredients. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience. That's the centerpiece of your soul. It's what makes you you. So do you understand why it is in the crosshairs of your enemy? Because the devil knows without righteousness as a breastplate, he's like, I can trigger a heart attack in him in any moment. He will attack your mind. He will attack you with bad thinking, lies about God. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I couldn't believe I'm here. It's going to snow in hell. Uh, God, God's angry at me. If he knew what I've, I've done, he, he will never forgive me. He'll attack you with lies. You could lose your salvation or anxious thoughts that create fear and worry. He will actually attack your mind and get you fixated on addictive thoughts, uh, lustful thoughts, strongholds in your mind. I've seen this over and over with spouses who are unfaithful. Uh, who come to see me, and it's fascinating just the way people think. I've met so many who have told themselves, you know how they rationalize it? They actually say, it's not that bad because my spouse doesn't meet my needs. They don't understand me. And so I actually deserve, I think I'm entitled to a little bit more. And they actually say things like, I, I don't see what the big deal is. I feel like I can be happily married and have a little something, something on the side. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's, it's insanity. And people who do this for a long time, guess what? Their conscience gets seared. I'll talk about that in a minute because they live this double life. But in some bizarre way, they have convinced themselves that their marriages are stronger because they're getting what they need from somebody else. Like it's craziness. Uh, the devil will attack your will. He will turn your ambitions. How are you going to spend your years here? You got 77 years. And some people are like, I'm going to make a lot of money. Uh, I'm going to, you know, be known by everybody. I'm going to be famous or I'm going to have power. And he will push you 
to pursue what you think are awesome goals, but they're actually temporary and short-sighted, even directly opposed to the will of God. He'll temper with, he'll, he'll, he'll go after your feelings. You'll feel natural emotions like anger, but the enemy will amplify them. He's like, you shouldn't just be angry, you should get revenge against that person who's hurt you. He'll get you feeling sad and discouraged like nobody cares and, and, and understands so that you isolate yourself. I saw this with a, a guy who I was talking to. He wants to be in a relationship. Uh, great guy, loves Christ, uh, but he can't find the right relationship. He's been on so many dates. He goes, but none of them Tim have, have panned out for me. And he said to me, he goes, I'm really upset because you know why? I attend church. I am faithful to God. I serve. I'm in a small group. He says, but I feel like God's forgotten me. In the area of relationships, he's, he's holding out. He believes that Jesus is not for him, and he's actually filled with the, the, the emotion of self-pity. He said things like, why me? I always do the right thing. I'm waiting and still nothing. The last area where Satan will attack you is your conscience. You guys know what your conscience is, right? It, it's, it's like the, the microphone or head mic that the Holy Spirit uses to amplify the voice of God. Can you hear me, James? I'm talking to you. <laughs> You ever have that moment, God's speaking to you. Some of you are actually reading through Ephesians in this study, and God's starting to speak to you. Maybe he's convicting you, you know, of actions or words that are out of line with his word. Now, when you take that to heart and you act on it, guess what? That's called righteousness. But if you ignore the voice of God, your conscience, long enough, the Bible says you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit, and he will start speaking. Listen to this very sobering truth from 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is, this is amazing. The Spirit clearly says in later times that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by what? Demons. Okay, spiritual warfare. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Wow. I mean, what an image. Have you ever seen a steak get seared on a grill? It's like, the, the red meat turns gray and it toughens up. The Bible says your conscience can be seared in the same way as with a hot iron. In other words, if you ignore it long enough, it will eventually grow tough and dull to even any sense of right and wrong. Your heart will grow spiritual scar tissue so that it doesn't even feel moral conviction anymore. Guys, you understand that is a spiritual kill shot. How many of us know somebody whose conscience has been seared, right? They don't even care anymore. They've like lived in illusions and lies for so long, they can't even discern the truth anymore. Can I just ask this? Where are the holes in your armor? Where are the gaps? All the, all the little sins, I got them, that we tolerate but you know what? They are holes in our bulletproof vest. And that's why God commands. He says, you've got, got to be vigilant. I want you to, to guard your heart above everything else because it is the source of your whole life. Guys, your heart was created by God. Your heart was created for God. And God says, I want to protect your heart with my righteousness. When you align your life with the truth of my word, the devil can't get in there. You will be bulletproof. But what's that mean practically? Some of you are like, I like that idea. But like, how do I put on the righteousness of God, you know, in my nine to five work <laughs> or at school tomorrow morning? You know, are, are you just saying like, Tim, like, okay, I guess be more like Jesus. You know, I don't, <laughs> uh, just, are you telling me just to try harder or to clean up my act, be a better Christian? Think of it this way. 
Remember, go back to our definition of righteousness. Uh, you're aligning your life, your daily life, with God's expectations. The problem is this. I struggle with this a little bit. Because if you've read Romans 7, <laughs> you're like, man, spiritual warfare is real, y'all. Paul actually says it. He goes, um, it's the funniest thing. So I want to live a righteous life, but here's a problem. The good things that I want to do, I just can't seem to get my body to do it. <laughs> He's like, I want to live a holy, righteous life aligned in my thoughts and feelings with God. But watch, there's something like wrong with my arms. I want to go this way, but they want to go this way. <laughs> it doesn't seem to cooperate with living this out. He's like, my, my feet, I'm like, I want to walk in God's path, but then I find myself doing this. My eyes, I keep like looking. There's stuff I'm trying not to look at, but then my eyes are like, what is that? He's, Paul, literally, you read the Bible, it's so real. Romans 7 is like, Paul's like, there's this war. There's a battle going on between my flesh and the spirit. And that war is real. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Or is that just me, okay? You try to live, you know, faithfully in a world that celebrates immorality, right? Come on, that's a battle. By the time Paul gets to the end of Romans 7, it's actually funny. I was reading it this morning in my devotions. He's so frustrated that he's like, man, this world's jacked up. What a wretched man I am. <laughs> he's like, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's so overwhelmed by his failed pursuit of righteousness because he's like, it's impossible. It's unreachable because here's the deal. Do you know God's standard is 100% perfection? Can I ask, how you doing with that? <laughs> Pastor Mike, how you doing with that? Pastor Bruce, how you doing with that? Because I ain't doing so good, okay? On my, I'll just be honest. On my best days, I'm like, I can eke out maybe like an 80%, 85%, you know, righteous living if I've had my devotions plus extra coffee. You know, if I get a pumpkin spice latte, 90. You know, I get up a little bit. But 100% perfection? Come on. You know what the problem with that is? Have you ever met people who strive for religious perfection? They're the worst people in the world. <laughs> no one wants to be around them. When you see someone who's like, I'm trying to build a very religious, you know, perfect life, they end up becoming these kind of smug, self-righteous Pharisees who kind of look down their nose on you. Well, I'm doing a little bit better than Joe, so I think I'm doing pretty good. You just the sin of pride. <laughs> They're guilty of the thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. <laughs> but watch. The other end of the spectrum is despair. Because there's Christians who are just, man, I blew it again. I keep falling down the same sins over and over. God must be so disappointed. Why do I even bother trying? That's where man-made religion leads, to either pride or despair. And let me tell you, that's why people run away from religion. They give up. Because they assume it's a long list of do's and don'ts to cancel your fun out, and it's impossible anyway, why bother trying? Guys, hear me. I'm going to preach. Listen to this. That is not the righteousness Paul is talking about here. It is critical you understand this. If you think that God is simply saying, you should try to be a better person, you have not understood the gospel. Guys, the world doesn't need another perfect person because, listen, y'all, the perfect one has already come. Give God a praise. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived the only perfect, 100% obedient life in human history. And when he died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins, that was it. But watch, the enemy wants to trick you into thinking you got to pay for them yourselves. 
You now got to stress yourself and exhaust yourself trying to reach this unattainable goal and prove you're worth saving. And guess what? That is a burden nobody can bear. So how do you put on this breastplate and align your life with, with God's expectations? I want you to remember what Paul taught you. He says, before you put on that breastplate, you got to put on the belt of truth. In other words, watch this. The belt supported the weight of the breastplate. Translation, you were never meant to bear the weight of perfection yourself. This breastplate was lifted off the shoulders of the Roman soldiers by the belt of truth. So you better know the truth about God's righteousness. Romans 3 says this. Who's uh, measuring up? Who's uh, really hitting it out of the park? How about this? There is no one righteous. Not even one. Not me, not Jermaine, not Lisa, not Bruce, not Mike. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all's y'all be included. <laughs> even self-righteous, legalistic, you know, Christians who think they're doing good. And, and the Bible says, guess what? God ain't grading on the curve. He, he's not comparing you to the other people in your row. He compares you to his son, Jesus Christ. So understand, perfection is utterly impossible. Trust me, I've tried it. Any perfectionists here? You, you can be enslaved to the pursuit of perfection just as readily as an addiction to alcohol or porn. So what's the solution? If you can't achieve righteousness on your own, what do, what do we do? Are we like, well, we try to be, you know, we lower God's standards a little bit. We water it down. You know, maybe he'll cut us some slack, hopefully fingers crossed in heaven. Obviously not. Guys, 100% perfection is what's required to enter heaven. You can't actually even be in the presence of God unless you've lived a 100% holy, obedient life. So what's the solution? Guys, enter the cross of your Savior, Jesus Christ. For, First Peter 2 says, He himself, Jesus, bore your sins in his body, where? On the cross, so that we might, watch this, die to sins and what? Live for righteousness. By his wounds, you all been healed. Guys, those are the tracks of truth on which you and I are supposed to run our lives. This is the truth of the gospel that's supposed to lift off the weight off your shoulders of this impossible goal. The cross of Jesus, think of it this way, this was God's counter assault against the devil. What happened on the cross? God's only son, your savior, Jesus, the only human in history to live a 100% perfect life. He lives the righteous life that I could never live, that you could never live, we couldn't do it. But watch this, out of great love. He allowed Roman soldiers to nail him to this cross and stab him in the side in your place. That's the punishment that you and I deserved. And on that cruel Roman cross, there was an exchange made between God and man. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, this is so powerful. God made him who had no sin to what? Be sin for us so that in him, we might become the what? Righteousness of God. Say it again. We become the what? Right. Did you catch this? When Jesus died on that cross for you and me, something amazing happened. First thing happened is Jesus cleared the penalty of sin. I don't mean he just, he just said, ah, oh, you know what? We'll just let that be a wash. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that. All that rotten fruit in your life, all that crap, we'll just forget about it. No, 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 no. 
God said sin is serious, dead serious stuff. The affairs are serious, the lying is serious, the gossip is serious, the pouring is serious, the wage of sin is death, and Jesus is gonna die that death for you. But that's not all. That is half the gospel. The, watch this. Some of you, you don't know this part of it. The cross didn't just take something poisonous out of you. It put something powerful in you. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's half. So that in him, we become what? The righteousness of God. So when Jesus became our sin in exchange, we received his righteous life. It was the most lopsided trade in the history of the world. Jesus takes all your sin in garbage, and now his perfect life is credited to your spiritual bank account. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? <laughs> when God looks down at you right now, he doesn't see your humanity. He doesn't see your weaknesses and your sins and your faults and your failings. He looks at you and he sees the blood-stained face of his son Jesus, the spotless lamb of God. So the pressure's off. You don't have to strive for perfection. In God's eyes, you are already righteous because of Christ. Right now in Christ, you are righteous. This is so important. You are righteous. I, I want you to say this out loud so the devil can hear you, okay? Some of you is gonna be like, I don't know, man. I want you to turn to your neighbor, look in their eye and just say, nope. <laughs> I am righteous. Go ahead, tell them right now. Just look at them. I am righteous. Now turn to the other side and tell that neighbor. I am righteous. <laughs> oh, this is good. Some of you are like, really? Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Listen to me. I understand you may not look like it. <laughs> me neither. I, got, I still got some chips and dents on my outside. But when you ask Christ into your heart, guess what? You're a new creation on the inside. You are becoming righteous in the sight of God. And so it means no matter what you've done in your past, no matter the bad choices you may have made even last night, no matter the ways you may trip up in the future, you are already righteous in Christ, and that truth takes some of the weight off your shoulders. Amen? Give God a praise. That's good news. That's the gospel. Guys, you are playing with house money. You get this? You, like you have extra in your account. It, it's, like, um, it's like my Amazon account. Anybody else addicted to Amazon? Okay? Since we're confessing sin, all right? I, I, I have a little addiction with Amazon. I love books, and, uh, and I have Amazon Prime. So they put this very demonic thing called one click over here. And like you look something up, and then it follows you around and you, until you click it, you know? And uh, I, this past summer, I kind of racked up a bill on some books for a, a thing that I'm writing about $250, okay, and I was feeling bad about it. And so I went online to look at my Amazon account, and it was strange because I expected to say, welcome, Tim, you owe $250. But when I logged in, it said, congratulations, Tim, you have a credit of $250. And I was like, obviously, it was a mistake, right? So I call Amazon. Surprise, you can't get anybody on the phone, right? You know. So I'm like, Alexa, I owe money. They pick up. And... Uh, <laughs> And I said, I, said, uh, I said to the customer rep, I said, hey, just no big deal, but I think there's a mistake to my account. I owe you guys $250. I'm the one with the debt, but it says there's a credit. And the lady says, let me see. 
And she goes, actually, that's no mistake, sir. You have a $250 credit to your account to enjoy. I was like, that, that, that doesn't seem right. She goes, well, let me see. Oh, it looks like somebody gave you a gift. Unbeknownst to me, my brother in San Francisco had purchased a $500 Amazon gift card online for my birthday. And because he's too lazy to mail it to me, he, <laughs> he credited it to my account. That was awesome. Now listen, watch this. When he did, two things happened. First off, my 250 debt was wiped out. My brother cleared my debt. But that's not all. I received 250 extra credited to my account. Guys, that's what happened on the cross. Your debt to God was completely canceled. But that's not all. His righteousness was credited to your account. It's called imputed righteousness. It means there ain't no accusation left for you. There's no condemnation. There is no blow to your heart that the devil can deliver and hurt you. Because when God sees you, he sees his perfect son, Jesus. He canceled your debt. He credits it to your account. It, it, but when he died on the cross, it was like God stabbed the devil in his heart. He dealt a death blow to the enemy. And he said, that child is mine. That boy, he may be dirty, but he's righteous in my sight. That girl's my righteous daughter. That now and forever, they can't be... Is that not powerful? Guys, is that not liberating? Who doesn't want to be a Christian? It's not about you. It's what about Jesus did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hope this is hitting some of you. For the first time. It's not an invitation to join religion. It's to receive Christ. His righteousness in your life. In fact, I just feel like the Holy Spirit right now. Some of you are like, man, I've, why have I not done this? <laughs> I need to become a Christian. I need to ask Christ to come into my heart. And so I want to lead you just in a quick prayer here. It's very simple. I mean, become a Christian, we make it complicated. It's as simple as ABC. I talk about this all the time. It's admitting your sin. I've fallen short. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> but then it's believing that Jesus did something about it. On that cross, that exchange was made. And you say, come into my life. I commit to follow you. I receive your righteousness by faith. I want to encourage you right now to do it today. So would you bow your heads, just all our campuses for a moment. I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. Not magic words. Let's just, let's all pray this out loud so nobody feels left out. Just say these words out loud after me. Father, thank you for loving me. I admit my sin and I need a savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place on that cross for my sin. Forgive me now. I receive your righteousness. I believe you rose from the grave. Give me a new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I commit to follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you welcome new believers? Some of you, that's a first-time prayer of salvation. That's how you become a Christian. You didn't become religious. You became righteous. It's awesome. Now, let me tell you what to expect. This is not the end. I need four more minutes of your time. See, this is where people think, now the hard work begins. I better start acting like a very good moral person and earn my salvation, show I was worth saving. That's not it. The Bible says... The moment you trust Christ in your heart as your savior, you got a secret weapon now at your disposal. This is not about you now trying to live a good holy life, but it's about you surrendering 
and activating the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says this, Paul writes, when you heard that message of truth, the good news of your salvation, when you believed in Jesus, watch this, you were also, just right now, you were sealed with who? The promised Holy Spirit. That means you got a new operating system inside of you. It's not going to happen overnight, but the Holy Spirit now will help you do what you could never do in your own strength. God's Spirit's now inside your heart, and His job is to sanctify you. That's a fancy word. Don't get freaked out about it. Here's what it means. Sanctification is the process by which you are molded, shaped, and chiseled to look like Jesus. And it's not your job. It is the job description of the Holy Spirit. So as you now open your heart to God and invite his truth in through his word, watch, the Spirit's going to make you start thinking different thoughts. The Spirit's going to tell, tell your flesh who's who. He's going to start directing your feelings and thoughts, and your conscience is going to start guiding you. So understand righteousness is not about moral behavior or better behavior. It's submitting and saying, Holy Spirit, would you live the life of Jesus through me? Because I can't do this. And your motivation is going to change. God called you to be changed on the inside out. So understand, righteousness is not something you manufacture. It's something God releases through his Holy Spirit. As you listen to God's voice, this is what the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit's about. Rotten bananas, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, righteousness. It's what's going to give you the power to be patient with your kids when they're driving you up the wall. Think I want to swat fruit flies? Something else in mind. It's what's going to cause you to be loving and patient and gracious in your words to your spouse when you could nail them to the wall because you know they're not right and you've got the data. It was what causes you to be disciplined in areas of your life that are normally out of control because now you have Christ's self-control. So when you got the righteousness of Christ in you, the Holy Spirit helps you live it out because you're a new creation. You're born again and there's a brand new operating system. So let me tell you what that means. Here's why I want you to think. A year from now, next fall, when you look at the man in the mirror, you should see a different person than you see today. Not because of extra wrinkles or the extra pounds or whatever might change externally. But it means when you look at that man or that woman in the mirror, you're like, you know what? She wouldn't have said those words a year ago. She used to be impatient and rude and, and sharp and, and, and cynical. But her words are more and more seasoned with grace and such peace. Where's that coming from? I'm just trying harder. No. The Holy Spirit's living out through you. You know, I look at that guy. With all the temptation and chaos that's circling around his life, that ain't the same guy I remember a year ago who gave in to temptation at the first sign of weakness. He is righteous, and he's actually walking in victory because he's wearing the breastplate. Guys, that's how you know the Holy Spirit's working in your life. When you actually notice that you're changing from the inside out, and I want to just encourage you to close with this, don't resist that change. Don't resist that change. It's not going to feel great. Most of the time, the changes that the Holy Spirit makes, you know what it feels like? It feels like, sh it feels like sanding or shaving with sandpaper. It feels like pruning with loppers. <laughs> it, it feels like chipping away at all these things in your life that are holding you back from looking more chiseled like Jesus. But it's, it's lining your life up with, with who you are in him. I'll close with this story. So this amazing interview with a sculptor. It was this world-class sculptor. He had actually made this beautiful sculpture of a stallion, this beautiful horse. 
And uh, he made it out of this big block of unshaped, you know, rock. And they were interviewing him in his art studio. And the interviewer said, can I just ask, how did you take a big blob of rock and you created this stunning stallion? You know what the sculptor did? He actually reached on his workbench and he picked up a chisel. And he looked at the big blob of rock on the side and he said, well, I just chip away at anything that doesn't look like a stallion. He said, the, the stallion is in there, but it's my job to chip away and let him out. Guys, it is the Holy Spirit's job to chip away at everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus Christ. And so if you have desires or you have habits that have led you away from God, do not hold on to them. The Holy Spirit wants you to let him go because he's trying to make you look more like Jesus. You already have his righteousness inside of you, but let the Spirit do his work. Don't close your heart. Open it up. This week in your small groups, guys, open your heart. Be honest. Be vulnerable. You're already righteous. Ain't anybody here going to judge you. If you're struggling with some area in your life that's out of alignment with God's truth, and, and we all been there, I've been there, let others encourage you and pray for you and hold you accountable so you'll walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Guys, that's how you and I walk in victory. Amen? Give God a praise. Let's pray. Let's pray all our campuses. God, we thank you. You're changing us, Jesus. You have all access. Change us now, Lord, from the inside out. You are the only perfect person. The world doesn't need more perfect people. We're not perfect. We're forgiven. And now we're walking in victory. Father God, I pray for every man and woman who prayed to receive you, Father. Confirm that you're their Holy Spirit, that they are saved. Nothing can snatch them out of your hand. And for those of us, Father, who maybe have backslidden or, or just kind of returning to faith, Father God, activate the Holy Spirit. Live your life, Jesus, out through your people, I pray this week. In Jesus' name and to his glory. Everybody said together, amen. amen. Let's give God one more praise. Liquor Church.